There was a man who lived in the fast life in the city. He was extremely wealthy, extremely busy, worked hard all the time. And he was tired of the rat race. He was tired of the pressure. He was tired of the long hours. So he decided that he wanted to become a chicken farmer. What could be easier than that, right? So he moves out to the country. And upon arriving in a place that was just absolutely desolate, he found that the nearest man who lived to him was also a chicken farmer. And so he goes down, and he knocks on the door proudly, and he says, I've just moved out here to the country, and I want to be a chicken farmer. And the guy said, oh, that's great. Here, I'll give you a hundred chickens to get you started. The guy was so excited, brand new to the country, and he's already been given a hundred chickens. This is going to go great. And so he takes the chickens and goes back to his house, and a week later, his new neighbor came to his house and said, so, how's it going, those hundred chickens? Is it going all right for you? And the guy sort of sheepishly and embarrassingly said, they're all dead. They're all dead. I've never heard of a hundred chickens dying in a week. You don't even have to know what you're doing with them for them to be okay to make it a week. How did they all die? Uh, it just didn't work. All right, listen, I'll give you another hundred chickens. Really? You'll do that for me? Yeah, I'll give you a hundred more, okay? So he gives him 100 more chickens, now giving him 200 chickens. Two weeks have gone by, and the new neighbor comes to the old neighbor, goes up to the door, knocks on the door, and says, how's it going? And the guy comes out distraught, and he says, they're all dead again. And he said, how in the world have you killed 200 chickens? That's almost impossible. And the city slicker says, I don't even know. I don't, I don't know if it's because I'm, I'm putting them in too deep or spreading them out too far from each other when I put them in the ground. <laughs> City people don't really get the farm. City people don't really get the farm. And I can attest to that. I'm a city boy through and through. I've always grown up uh, in the city. And so anytime I go out to the farm, I'm a little confused. I remember when I was in college, I went to my friend Joe's grandmother's house. And he had been raised in this house, and it was just out in the country. It was unbelievable. I learned there that, I learned there that country roads are about a mile apart from each other. They measure them out, and so you know the mile squares. Everywhere you go, there's a square of about a mile apart. I learned that when, after harvest season, when they take it all down, that that's a great time of the year because you can see the police for miles away, and you can go however, however fast you want. This is what you learn about the country when you go out to the country. I sounded pretty good. I, I never had an experience like that in the city. I, I also learned that when a city boy goes to sleep in the country— that you begin to wonder if there's an axe murderer outside your window. Because that's what happens on unsolved mysteries to people who live in the country. And so there I was laying in this bed, miles from anyone, terrified that someone was going to come in through that little tiny window above me. City people do not understand the country. In fact, when I was in high school, uh, we used to have events. I went to high school in Wisconsin, of course. We had these events all over the state of Wisconsin. And one time we went to an event in uh, north and west Wisconsin, and there were some local kids there, and they, they decided that we were all going to get up at 3 in the morning, leave the church, and head out into the town streets, and find some cows to tip. This is apparently what people do when they live in the country. Who knew? 
We never found any cows that night. It's okay. All cows were left unharmed in northwest Wisconsin at that point. But people in the country are just so different than people in the city. All the people in the, all the, people in the city, we were talking about what sports we were in. All the people in the country that I knew in high school were talking about their next, next FFA meeting. And I laughed about that, and they told me the cool kids were in the FFA. Do you know what the FFA is? All right, we know the kids from the country. All right, now we know. So when Jesus starts talking, Jesus starts talking often in agricultural or farm terms because Jesus was from the farm. He was from Green Acres. I made a Green Acres joke in the first service because I thought they'd get it. I have a feeling that may go right over your head. I tested it on Danny yesterday, and he just looked at me blankly. So no Green Acres jokes this service, okay? All right? But he, Jesus lived in Green Acres. He lived in Green Acres. It was out in the country. People lived by farming. If you wanted to eat a tomato, you had to grow it yourself. There wasn't a Publix down the road. And so Jesus talked a lot about things like seeds like he does today because everyone would get seeds. Me, on the other hand, if I want a, seeds, a seed, I go to Home Depot and uh, I get angry when it never comes up above the ground. You see? But back then, seeds, they all understood seeds. They knew how to nurture it, how to, how to, uh, how to plant it, how to grow it, how to make food for themselves. And this is something that's often lost on us. But Jesus uses seed metaphor in John chapter 12. We're going to read verses 20 through 33 today. And I forgot my Bible down here, so I'll let you look for John chapter 12 while I go and grab my Bible. This is an important thing. I still don't have the whole thing memorized, unlike what most people seem to think whatever. John chapter 12, verses 20 through 33, we're going to read today. If you found it, would you join me in standing as we honor God's word this morning? The gospel of John says this to us this morning. Now, there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the feast. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Now my heart is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, This voice was, not for, my, for, was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. But I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. You may be seated. We have in this scene a very popular Jesus. A very popular Jesus. Jesus has just finished riding into Jerusalem in the triumphal entry on Palm Sunday. Everyone has waved, waved their palm branches, and the Pharisees are quoted in John as sort of gathering together and saying, 
oh, we're not going to be able to get him now. Too many people like him. Jesus is popular. He's even got here Greeks who aren't just out-of-towners, but out-of-countryers. These are foreigners to foreigners' extent. These are people who are very different than anyone there. Even the Greeks have heard about Jesus, and they're now coming up to the disciples asking if they could just get a moment with this guy. Jesus is very popular. Almost too popular. You would think that Jesus at this moment could ride all the excitement. He could, he could jump aboard the wave of hype, and he can follow that all the way through the weekend and not have to die. You could think at this moment he could just say, listen, there's a better way than dying. I, I can just grow a big crowd. People will follow me, and we can go from there. Jesus had to be tempted to be the popular kid here for a moment. These Greeks come up to Jesus. We want to see him. We want to talk to him. We want to tell him about our stuff. We want to see if he can heal us. We want to learn a little bit from him. Can we talk to him? And Jesus chooses to talk to them. But he doesn't push the popularity like he could have. Instead, he refocuses the crowd on why he's there. And in turn, refocuses himself on why he's there. He begins to talk about wheat. And he begins to talk about seeds. And he says, you know, a, a seed is a pretty great thing, but uh, until it dies, it doesn't produce anything. It's just something. Well, we know that's pretty true. I brought with me some apples this morning. Uh, we all like apples, I at least assume. I've never really met anyone that doesn't like apples. Apples are pretty good. Wow. We'll have a remedial sermon for you two after... after. Anyways, apples are pretty good, but the thing about this, what I'm holding in my hand right now, this apple, is that it's dead. It's dead. Uh, an apple that's alive still hangs from the tree. An apple that's alive gains nutrients from the roots. It takes in water. This stem is its very source of life back into the tree. As soon as it comes off and it's ready for my consumption, it's dead. It's dead. There's only one use for this in the entire world, and that's really to eat it for my enjoyment. That's all this thing exists for. And I was thankful this morning that when I went to Sweet Bay to get this, it was just sitting there, and I had options of multiple apples. And I just thought all these things are just, they're just dead. They've got moments. Have you ever had an apple fall to the back corner of your refrigerator before? You forgot it was there, and then you found it about a month or two later? That's not a pretty picture, is it? For those of you that clean it out, they get mushy and nasty and disgusting. This is just, this is literally two weeks from being the most disgusting thing you could ever see or smell. Right now, it's just dead. There is one other use for it besides just eating, though. For those of you that, uh, that have eaten a lot of apples, you know that if you cut it in half right into the core... You see that there are seeds in there. You can sort of see it right there. You know that there are seeds in the middle of the apple. There's something interesting about the seeds. They're really tiny. Let me dig one out here. I know you've all seen them before, but they're crazy tiny. In fact, they're significantly smaller than the tip of my pinky. For those of you that can sort of see, you see how easily that sits on the tip of my pinky. That thing is just absolutely tiny. And you would think, 
if you just saw this with no context, you would think that this was something that was probably pretty worthless. What does it do? It just sits there. It doesn't smell like anything. It doesn't taste like anything. It's, it, it's worthless. And Jesus says, Jesus begins to talk about seeds, and he says, seeds really aren't worth anything if you just have one. It'd be do no good for me to go to Miss Rosa and put this on her hand and say, here's my gift to you. Whoop-de-doo. Jesus says, a seed has to die in order to be worth anything. You need to take that seed and put it in the ground. And then something miraculous happens. If it's nurtured well, if it's cared for, this thing becomes a tree. And it's no longer the pit of one apple that you ate for a meal. But now this is nurturing thousands of apples across the course of its life. This seed is nothing if not potential. It's nothing if not potential. And Jesus says that he's like a seed. Sure, he could just go around and he could be popular and people could like him. He could, he could stay connected for the rest of his life like a good apple. He could just connect himself to the tree and constantly be fed and filled and taken care of. The life of an apple is a safe life as long as it's on the tree. There's no threat of death until it needs to remove itself. But he says he's not going to live that comfortable life just being fed. He's going to put that aside. And he's going to become like a seed who must die so that thousands may come to life. Okay, well, well, you all know about Jesus. You know that he died on the cross so that we could have life in God. You know all those things. You've heard all those stories bef- before. But the real challenge of Jesus' message isn't so much any sort of theories of atonement or anything that he gives here. The real challenge of Jesus' message is that he turns around to his listeners and says, I'm going to die so that thousands may live. And any of those who live in me must also die so that thousands may live. His exact wording is, if I could, if I could remind you for just a minute, he says, uh, the man who loves his life will lose it. Well, the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant will also be. Jesus is inviting us to see ourselves as the seed off of the tree which he has planted, okay? Jesus was a seed, and he died on the cross and was put in the ground and was raised to life three days later. And he's saying, where I've gone, you must also go. So he has planted this new tree that gives you and I life and allows us to live these vibrant lives in him, close and connected to him. But his invitation is to us to not just stay connected to that tree, Not just soaking him up for me, not just getting all the nutrients that he has for me, but he invites us to fall off the tree, to dig within ourselves and see where we are a seed, and then also plant ourselves in the ground, perhaps never to be celebrated or seen again, in hope that God will do something as special through our ministry as he did through the ministry of Jesus. He is inviting us to plant our seed in the ground so that through us also, thousands may find life. Just imagine that. If every person 
sown by Jesus. Everyone that comes into life with Jesus saw themselves as this little seed, just a small piece of potentiality, not anything big, not anything special, not anything tremendous, but something that must be given away. And instead, we started to live our lives as if it's something that must be given away. But how do we do this? How do we choose to die? How do we follow Jesus when there's no cross to be hung on today? I poured through the Gospel of John to this moment to see in ways in which Jesus gave himself up when he could have taken on for himself. Ways in which Jesus died daily for the sake of others. And I thought there were some great messages for us in there of how today, in 2012, we too can die daily with Jesus. Not for our own sake, but so that we can be a seed like Jesus that falls into the ground, giving itself up for the sake of others. You see, in the Gospel of John, the stories of Jesus are plentiful, of course. At the very beginning, he has a conversation with a Pharisee, Nicodemus. We talked about that last week. Nicodemus is a part of a group that wants to get rid of Jesus. And Jesus humbles himself in the middle of the night to go to Nicodemus and talk with Nicodemus. Now, I've watched enough gangster movies to know that when someone wants to kill you, you don't go talk to them at night in a back alley. But that's what Jesus has done here. He takes the risk for the sake of Nicodemus in an unsafe circumstance because he saw something bigger and better in Nicodemus, and he trusted that God would take care of him. The next chapter goes into a story of the Samaritan woman, a a woman who on the surface from society and from the law is no good. She's been married multiple times. She goes through men like it's changing underwear, right? She, She doesn't seem to have any potential at all. She's known inside of town as kind of that woman. And Jesus sits and he converses with her. He has a conversation of kindness and grace instead of a conversation of judgment. She was probably used to being A, used, and B, judged. And yet instead, Jesus talks to her about her potential in him. And it's less than surprising that this woman, after seeing Jesus for who he is because he took the time for her, went back into town and got the whole town to come out and be converted before him. A conversation of grace instead of a conversation of judgment. If we move on further, there are all sorts of stories of healings. Jesus, Jesus, when he prays, doesn't pray for himself. Jesus doesn't pray for his own problems. In fact, in what we've read today, he even, he even says, what, should, should I pray that this hour passes? No. What he's saying, should I pray that I don't die? No, God has sent me to die. I'll be okay because God is good. Instead, he... He prays for people who need healing. There's a story, of course, in chapter 5 of the the healing of the pool of Bethesda. There was a paralyzed man who was hoping that the pool would heal him. But instead, Jesus sees his need and he cares for his need. He takes time out of his own busy schedule to care for someone that has a need. These are the things that Jesus does to die to himself. In chapter 5, Jesus himself says, Stop testifying. Or, in other words, if I could put it in our language today, stop running your mouth. Stop running your mouth. And he says, and start living the life of Jesus. Stop talking and start doing. Stop talking and start doing. These are ways that the Gospel of John encourage us 
to die to ourselves, to give ourselves away for the sake of others. Jesus is saying each of us are a seed in the tree that he has planted. All of us have a sense of potential within us to die so that more life can be had in the kingdom of God. We have to make the choice daily whether it's about being nourished by the tree for me or about seeing thousands, thousands see who Jesus is by dying to ourselves. I've heard the term before, this one cracks me up a little bit, that people who need to go to church and small group and prayer time and need to hear sermons that feed them, you know, they say that all the time, I'm just not being fed anymore. I've heard the warning of the danger of spiritual obesity. You're fed too much and you never exercise it off. Yeah, I like that one too. It's funny. We have a danger of just being the apple connected to the tree all the time. When Jesus isn't saying, nourish yourself, he's saying you will be nourished by giving yourself away. You will truly be nourished by giving yourself away. You are a seed. You're nothing more special than that. No offense. You are a seed. But this is one of the most beautiful things in the entire world. The fact that we could gain a thousand apples from one little speck. That is a beautiful thing. And you are every bit as beautiful as that. And today, God is calling us from the very mouth of Jesus in John chapter 12 to die to ourselves with him. It's not going to grow there, but that's okay. To be buried with him so that his beauty can come out of our lives. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about him. And when we come together individually and collectively to give ourselves away, to die with him, that's when the true beauty begins in our lives. Musicians are going to come and sing a final song. And the altars, of course, opened as they sing. But just remember that this walk with God is not about me. It's not about you. It's about Him. And He chooses to do His tremendous work in this world that He has created through people like you and me. What a blessing that is. Let's sing together. Lord, we thank you for being here today. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for the beautiful people that you have created that fill this place today. Oh God, you're so good to us. And so often, Lord, we're, we're terrified to do what we have to do for your kingdom. But God, I ask that you fill these people with your boldness. Help them to see their own beauty, the wonderful people that you've created and made in this place. And help them to see how you have planned for all of us to be your servant, your tool, your seed, so the gospel can be grown in this world and through this city, through this church. God, we praise your name, and we pray that you care for each and every one of the people here today as they go through their week. In your name we pray.